0: Welcome to the Men of Valor program. We're continuing today a series that I think will be a rather lengthy series on uh, the books in the field. I think that's one of the way to one yeah, that's ways a to good title it. for yeah. it. Right,
1: right. We we began last week, Mark, with your uh, your mentor and close friend, Dr. Patrick Carnes, and some of the impactful books that he has written. Right, yeah. And uh, and so, what have you got for us today?
0: Well, there are two uh, authors that were very prominent in the late 80s and 90s. Melanie Beatty is one of them, and John Bradshaw is the other. So I was just reviewing their books, uh, obviously in preparation for the show, but uh, one of the things that I think uh, the listeners should know is that basically the 1980s was a, sometimes we call it a halcyon time, when uh, the recovery Uh, movement in all addictions was just making unbelievable strides. And uh, there were some authors who were really prominent in that. And uh, so we're going to talk about those two today. And uh, there are certainly others, but uh, for our listeners, we'll just be aware of the fact that when I got in recovery in 1987, it was the height of the advanced thinking about what creates and causes addiction, and how addiction should be treated.
1: Well, you were telling me earlier today, Mark, I found it interesting that that movement started only on a secular level uh, before Christian authors like yourself uh, came along.
0: That is right. The Christian community, don't get me wrong, was, you know, always concerned with addictions, but, you know, I think the approach had been uh, historically to kind of pray about it and uh, you know, uh, except the fact that you need a deeper faith. And, uh, sometimes that, uh, had the effect on Christian populations of just increasing their shame, uh, because they, they did feel like they had prayed and done everything their church leadership was telling them to do. And it, you know, it wasn't really working. So
1: it wasn't enhancing their sense of hope. was yeah, it?
0: That's right. And in that regard, I think John Bradshaw stepped into this scene and, uh, Kind of was, in a way, I look at him, uh, and I know him personally, it was a bridge for some of us Christians. And by bridge, I mean he was a self reported uh, spiritual person and had some Christian background. I think at one point he'd even considered studying for the priesthood, but he wasn't an evangelical Christian in the way that you or I or most of our listeners would define it. But back in those days, the late 80s, he had a couple of books that came out that were just absolutely uh, the number one influential books in our field. The first one, and this is the transition about what I was just talking about, that was so important for a lot of even Christians to read, was a book called Healing the Shame that Binds You. And in that book, Bradshaw was... Very clear in defining well for the first time, you know what the dynamic of shame is all about, and you know that sense that you know we're bad and worthless people. We can never get anything right. No one will love us as as we are, and those kind of things. He well defined the bridge. I think spiritually is that uh, he uh, divided shame into what he called unhealthy shame, the I'm a bad and worthless person shame and a healthy shame, which was that sense uh, that I, I need God, I I need a spiritual life uh, in order to finally get rid of the shame.
1: This is bigger than me.
0: This is a lot bigger than me. And, you know, again, Bradshaw would not have defined that as having a personal relationship with Christ, but he would have defined it as we know we have a dependency on God as we understand God. Mm-hmm. And in that, you can, you can hear the uh, the influence of uh, the twelve-step community in that the second and third step had been kind of neutralized in terms of of God because there were so many people going to Alcoholics Anonymous in the early days who had that sense of religious shame and uh, just didn't want to hear any talk about organized religion and uh, those kinds of things. So Bradshaw kind of stepped in that gap and uh, really helped all of us understand shame. And of course, the title of the book, Healing the Shame, which didn't really have an evangelical Christian approach to that, but it did recognize that we needed to convert the unhealthy shame to healthy shame, which was like the third step. We turn our life over to the care of God as uh, we understand God. So it left it open to a person's individual interpretation of that, but at least it was pointing all of us in the right direction of where shame is really healed.
1: Did you feel that Bradshaw was one of the first then to make this connection with uh, sexual addiction healing and the 12-step programs?
0: Well, it's all of these uh, these authors in those days, including the two we're talking about today, pretty much came out of the 12-step tradition. Okay, so okay. That, I think, is still today, and the reason we're talking about it, it's still today worth the read okay. in terms of understanding your shame and what binds you and, uh, what direction you need to move in order to get to his sense of healthy shame.
1: Well, let's stay on John Bradshaw then. Was there a second book of his that you'd like to talk about? Because then after we take the break, we can talk about the second author, uh, when we come back from our break.
0: Okay. That's good. Yeah. The second book was, uh, perhaps even more influential in the field. The first book was Healing the Shame That Binds You. The second book was called Bradshaw on the Family. And, uh, what John did is uh, he did a PBS series. He was really the first addiction person to do a series on uh, television public broadcasting. and it was also called "Bradshaw on the Family." And it indicates, uh, again, the bridge in that, you know, John really understood well family systems dynamics and some of the things that were foundational even to the field of sexual addiction. And he, he just had a wonderful sense of humor and a way of defining that and telling case stories and case illustrations of, uh, you know, family dynamics that are unhealthy, like, you know, we don't talk, we don't feel, uh, you know, those kinds of things. And so uh, the the movement, the the field back in those days was just heavily influenced by these family system dynamics. And Bradshaw wrote later books on healing the inner child, you know, wounded uh, part of ourselves that, you know, grew up in these dysfunctional families and experienced sexual, physical, emotional, spiritual abuse. He was the one that was talking about spiritual abuse. And uh, and so all of us, you know, kind of got into, oh, geez, you know, we all came from these completely unhealthy families and no wonder we are the way we are. And uh, I think we have to look at it as a bridge while on the one hand, it's important to understand maybe some of the abuse and so forth that happened to us. But I think what John was never really fully able to do is uh, uh, help us uh, know how to heal that and forgive and move on. And uh, I remember having a conversation with him about this and also Pat Carnes, who we talked about last week, and they, they both said, you know, we're kind of stuck forever in you know this wounded inner child place and uh, the you know don't get me wrong you know john particularly wrote book about books about healing that inner child but i don't think we can have ultimate healing of that inner child without helping that inner child know about as an adult you know their relationship with christ so but you know i cannot tell you that you know that book bradshaw and the family was the bible of the movement and that pbs series was probably one of the most popular PBS series that there's ever been. Wow. So, John Bradshaw.
1: Yeah, John Bradshaw. Well, that's a great heads up for our listeners as they are constantly looking for uh, powerful resources, and that coming from you is a great recommendation. At this point, let's take our break, and when we come back, there's a second author that you'd like to talk about, sure. and... uh Uh, we'll do just that. You are listening to Dr. Mark Laser, and this is the Men of Valor Program. at faithfulandtrue.com to learn more that's faithfulandtrue.com oh what time now for the trigger of the week
0: Trigger of the week, uh, we were talking about this at lunch, as we so frequently do, and uh, we were recognizing that we're in the summer season of, of reality shows and competition shows, America's Got Talent, and then the one we wanted to mention today. I forget the exact title of it. It's so, you think
1: you can dance? Or? It's one of those. I know there are several versions out there of, uh, of talented dancers. Well, this in, is the one comp- with Jennifer Lopez. Yeah, this huh? is the one. That's the one that we're talking about, is the one with Jennifer Lopez.
0: Also, the guy that we like from Dancing with the Stars. Yeah. Derek, yeah. Derek uh, Huff. Huff. Yeah. So, last season, I didn't really watch it, but there was a local Minnesota girl that uh, was on the show, and she was about 14 or 15. And uh, I did see it one night because of the local interest, and uh, she danced. She was, you know, 14, a nice, you know, wholesome girl in so many ways. But the costume she wore made her look like, uh, I don't know, I'm into mythologies, and it's like the Vestal Virgin. I mean, she Mm -hmm. was dressed in these white slip-like Costumes and
1: and you wonder whether that comes from the producer of the show or, or from the individual trying to give their best performance. Yeah, I, I don't. Right. I, I kind of wonder yeah. whether the producer is going for ratings. Yeah, you know, and thus is making strong recommendations to how the dancers are attired. Yeah, you know, or it's somebody saying, "I'll look really good if I wear this." I don't know.
0: I can't imagine that the producers were not involved in this. And uh, right, my sense of her is that. Maybe she was unaware of yeah. uh, the appearance and the effect that she had uh, on uh, men, particularly. So in this season, I haven't seen any of it, but I'm I'm going to guess that there's also going to be some highly provocative uh, dancers. Well,
1: and shows. as usual, we're just trying to make the men that listen to our program aware yeah. of these of right. these uh, landmines that are waiting for us to step on them wherever you go.
0: Yeah, they're just quite popular shows, and even. Uh, America's Got Talent, which is a kind of a show I like, will occasionally have just an inappropriate uh, act and so forth. So anyway, uh, that's the trigger of the week for Okay, all right.
1: Well, that sounds great. Uh, Mark, let's return our listeners to today's show in which uh, you are making some recommendations for some very strong uh, resources that are available.
0: Yeah, while we were talking about John Bradshaw. I have a funny story. Uh, Back in the days when I was still working at... uh, the hospital where I was treated, Golden Valley Health Center, which is now closed, everybody, don't be Googling it, it doesn't exist anymore, uh, but uh, we had Bradshaw in to speak, and uh, the venue where we would do these things, I walked in there before he pulled up in his chauffeur-driven limo, because uh, he's a multimillionaire because of all his popularity, there were uh, trees in our stage area, I, uh, bushes, trees, flowers, uh, I had never seen this, and uh he presented and you know, a bunch of us talked to him and uh then he left in his chauffeur driven limousine and uh next thing I know I went back in the building and all that stuff was gone. So I learned that uh when you go speak, uh there are certain things that you like having uh, Was that in his rider that he would have greenery yeah, I think in, so. in I, the in the stage area? I think so. I think so. And then, you know, in those days he was doing seminars and charging, you know, big dollars to go to them. So anyway, John Bradshaw. So the next one, the next author I'd like to talk about, I, I'm guessing is familiar to a lot of people. Melanie Beatty came out with a book, also in the late 80s, called uh, Codependent No More. Again, Melody came out of the 12-step program, Hazelden, the very famous treatment center here. He, she herself uh, had a life of relating to alcoholics, and uh, this really kind of came out of the field of alcoholism. And uh, she was the one to uh, put the term codependent on the book and began defining in that very seminal book what codependency is all about. And basically, you know, the earliest definitions are that a codependent is a person who is so interested in that ruffling feathers, uh, ticking off the alcoholic, they put up with stuff. They they tolerate things, they live with, sometimes even make excuses for, alcoholics. So certainly, you know, the book became much more universal in that, and the term began to be applied to anyone who lives with an addict and uh, is more interested in keeping the addict pacified than in uh, challenging or confronting the addict. From that original book, is its codependency is has come to define you know, any of us who are so anxiety-driven that, that we give up ourselves. I mean, I think that's one of the definitions of codependency is that we lose ourselves in uh, over-identifying with the addict and trying to keep the addict, uh, as we said, pacified. So we believe here today that uh, just about all the men that come here for sure, uh, underneath their addiction, there's also this layer of codependency where they just have a hard time. Uh, I, the the biggest challenge that the men have here is the ability to state their own needs uh, because historically, aside from their selfish pursuits of addiction, uh, they have no ability to state their needs in healthy ways. It's like pulling teeth with some of them. And uh, uh, we recommend, Debbie and I recommend, that uh, it's not just the wives... Uh, of our population that might be codependent. It's not really a term we like to slap on anybody, I know. It's uh, something that if a person is struggling with it, they kind of need to accept for themselves. But we do recommend that uh, the men read books like Codependent No More. As soon as they get basically sober from their uh, sexual addiction, then we need them uh, broadening out to understand some of the the, uh, anxiety dynamics that are underneath themselves. And so again, understanding your level of codependency and using books like it is a, a very positive thing to do. Now, this is a good example where the Christian community did come along four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 uh, years later and started picking up on this and writing some Christian books about, uh, codependency, which, uh, uh, several of which we'll get into in later shows. Okay. So now, I there's know, a second book that Melanie wrote.
1: Yeah, down. that's what I was going to mention. Uh, Debbie in passing had said that uh, she's got one of Melanie's books that she recommends for the women that come to the Women's Journey Workshop, mm-hmm. which, by the way, in case we have wives listening today, uh, today's date is uh, actually the 6th of June. This is D-Day. This is D-Day. All right. The you're 6th right. of June, anyway. So anyway, we have, uh, thanks for the uh, interruption, Um, (laughs) we have the Women's Journey Workshop coming up uh, later this month, Mm -hmm. uh, and we still have some available spots. So if there are Mm -hmm. wives out there listening who would love to have a very uh, impactful experience, uh, take a look at the Women's Journey Workshop that can be found at uh, our website, Mm faithfulandtrue.com. This book of Melanies, Debbie, recommends for the women that come there. But she said in passing today at lunch, she said, Do you ever recommend to the men yeah. to listen, to read this same book? Because it would be very beneficial to them.
0: Well, you know, the book is out because Debbie uses it in group. I think one of the other dynamics that we should talk about today is that the late 80s and so forth also became a time when a lot of the devotional books that Hazleton Publishing put out have become uh, very popular for all of us to be reading on a daily basis there are books for alcoholics books for this and that addict there's even a book uh, a devotional book for sex addiction in that hazelton series one of the things Melanie did was produce such a devotional book called the language of letting go and uh that's the book that uh, uh debbie was uh they use it to start the women's counseling groups and uh Uh, she was just recommending that maybe we use it in our groups. We still are using uh, a book by Henry Nowen, which we'll talk about on a later show also. But, you know, the language of letting go is going to uh, basically challenge you. And again, uh, kind of that, that spiritual way that secular authors are capable of doing without being uh, specific to evangelical Christianity. But uh, it's kind of about the language of surrender. And of course, as Christians, we know that's an important thing for us to do. So as long as we keep that important in our minds, I think books like "The Language of Letting Go," a devotional book, can be part of our spiritual arsenal on a daily basis. It's—I would not say it's the only thing we should be reading, uh, but it certainly could be one of them. That's about it, Randy. I, I think that Melody has got a ton of other books. In fact, Debbie and I are featured in one of her books on coupleship that came along later. But uh, she's—I I, think—a good example. Of uh, an author who had one or two really good books in her, and then she had a contract with Hazelton at one point, believe it or to not. To continue producing. To continue to produce. I think she had a contract at one point for 10 more books. Well, if you've got one basic good idea, you know, trying to come up with ideas for 10 more books uh, does not always work the right, best. But, right. Uh, certainly, Codependent No More and uh, The Language of Letting Go are, are seminal books that. Are uh, very powerful, and important, and a good read for our listeners.
1: All right. Well, Mark, uh, you have shared with us today about John Bradford and Melanie. John Brad, Brad Shaw. Brad Shaw. I'm sorry, John Brad Shaw. For our listeners, Brad Shaw, if you go to look for these titles, and Melanie Beatty.
0: B E A T T I E.
1: Okay. And you have been listening to Dr. Mark Laser. I'm Randy Everett, your co-host, and we're so pleased to bring you this show uh, as often as we can. Um, I I say that because we're a little off of our usual schedule of every week. But at the same time, if you visit faithfulandtrue.com and click on the Men of Valor program, you're going to find 250 podcasts. Uh, So there's always something for you to listen to, and we appreciate your loyalty in doing that. We hope that this coming week for you is going to be a week that's filled with many blessings and with great vision. You've been listening to the Men of Valor program with Dr. Mark Laser. For information about this program
0: or to learn more about Faithful and True, visit us at faithfulandtrue.com. That's faithfulandtrue.com.